Messiah, doesn't it? Oh man, I went and saw the Carlsbad Choir sing. My son was in it. It's just so good to see 80 high school students at a public high school sing uh, Handel's Messiah, that he will reign forever and ever and ever. And uh, the whole crowd standing as they're singing that. It was such a blessing. Hey, I want to hear from you. What are you thankful for today? Just raise your hand. I will come to your seat. And oh, all right. Now I'm, this is, I'm Kelly, and I'm just thankful for you. You are a wonderful pastor, and I feel so blessed beyond words oh, that, that, that you God. lead our church. Thanks, fellas. It's a blessing to serve here, no question about it. Yes, I'm coming. Where was the hand? Where, oh, there. I am. I'm just thankful for uh, this day that God gave me another day Amen. to wake up. And I'm thankful for my wife. And I'm thankful for the challenges that I was able to overcome through this year. It's been a bumpy road. Lost my mom a couple weeks ago. Life's health's been up and down. But God is good. He never gives us more than we can handle. Amen, Martin. Thank you, brother. Amen. Yeah, let's clap for that. Yes, right here. Ashley. Ten years ago, the Lord put it on our heart to adopt internationally, and we started the process four and a half years ago. And on Sunday, we brought our baby girl home from her orphanage in oh, Bulgaria. Wow. Amen. So um, we're so thankful to have this Christmas gift, and it was a miracle to see how the Lord brought her to us for Christmas. Um, such a such a God story, but we're just Amen. praising Him. That is so good. Thank you for sharing that. Amen. Anyone else? Oh, in the back. All right, I'm coming. Get my exercise in. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. I'm thankful to be alive. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Yeah, that's a powerful but very uh, simple praise. Amen. Anyone else? Ah, over there, yes. No, okay, give it a shot. Give it a shot. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm grateful for this church because the continuing pouring into me, I'm able to go back out there and be a light for amen. Christ. Oh, amen. Thank you so much for saying that. We do celebrate recovery on Monday night. And it's there for me because I struggle. I'm thankful for the word of God because it says... To me, God says, I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. Yeah, reverse. And, and that's who I am. The word of God, I'm just so thankful for. Amen, Larry. I don't know where I'd be without, without that book yeah. and how he's used that book to change all of creation. Amen. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks, Larry, for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. On a spiritual note, I'm thankful for my salvation. And on a materialistic note, I'm thankful for my new Harley Davidson Softail Slim. <laughs> All right, okay. All right. And I'm so glad you did it in that order. That's very good. All right. Anyway, oh, yes, okay, come on. You're welcome. I'd just like to say... Um, I'm thankful for, for God's blessings, always for his peaks and valleys, because when you're down in the valley, he gives you the peaks to look forward to, yeah. and when you're up on the peaks, he gives you that beautiful view to enjoy. Yeah. We all have peaks and valleys, at least in my life I do. Just remember when you're down in the valley, look up towards the peaks. Amen, brother. Good word, good word, good word. All right. I am so thankful for Riverview Church. I'm probably going to cry. I'm thankful for the staff that works so hard to make everything happen here. I'm thankful for everyone who attends. I'm thankful that there's so many people here who use the gifts and talents that God's given them to bless others. It's an amazing place to be. I, I love Coffee Break. I love the women in my group. I, I'm just so thankful to be here, and I'm thankful for Pastor Mel, who oh, is God, just thanks. so faithful and um, carries on for us. It's encouraging, and whenever you volunteer, Pastor Mel will come around and thank you for serving, <laughs> and that blesses my heart in amazing oh, ways. Thank you. Thanks, Donna. Thank you. Thank you so much. My name's Lindsay, and I usually don't do things like this, um, but a couple weeks ago, I had intense, intense anxiety, um, just complete panic, um, and I'm thankful that I'm not in that place anymore and that God has, um, God has really comforted me and just told me that he is um, with me and I'm thankful just for people in my life that have helped me and I'm just so thankful to him and he is so good and that's hard to say when you have gone through a lot but he is he's so good so if you're going through something today know that oh, he loves you so much and he's so good and I I can tell you that from experience. <laughs> Amen, Lindsay. Amen. 
Oh, thanks for sharing that. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. That's so true. Let's have a word of prayer as we get into God's word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity we have just to thank you for what you've done in our lives. Thank you for this year that we have gone through. Uh, You have challenged us and you have provided for us and we are so grateful. We know that 2020 will probably be very similar and we look to you, God, for your wisdom and your strength as we move forward. And we thank you that you're part of our lives. And so, Lord, we love you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today I want to talk about this, making the most of your lives and, uh, and, and making sure that as you live your life, you're doing it in such a way that has the most impact. You know, a lot of people don't like change. And New Year's is often a time of thinking about changes you want to make, taking inventory. If you own a business, you know that every once in a while you take inventory, what you have on the shelf and what you don't. And that's a good practice for us as people as well. What do we have that's a strength in our lives? What do we have as a weakness? It's been said that people spend more time planning their vacations than planning out the direction of their lives. And today I want to talk about what's your direction? How can we make the most of our lives? How can we make the most impact for Jesus Christ? Not only as individuals, but as a church. And for many people, change is hard. It's difficult. I know that because every Sunday you all sit in the same seats. I love it. You're all in just about the same place every Sunday. I can tell who's here and who's not by, oh yeah, that family that normally sits there, they're not there uh, today. We love to sit in the same place. We don't like change. kind of goes against our nature. But when it comes to our walk with Christ, every one of us should want change. We want God to work in our lives to make us more like the most amazing person that ever walked the planet. So change is important. I want to encourage you this coming year to be a person committed to positive growth, biblical change, and not to be a person that says, hey, this is the way I am. Love it or leave it. I'm not changing. That's not from God's Word. I want to tell you that attitude is not one that comes from the Lord. We're to always be wanting to be changed by the power of God to be more like Jesus Christ. The bottom line of our talk today is this. Because of the truths that Jesus lived and taught. And by the way, they are powerful. They're right here in the Word of God. God did write a book. You're holding it in your hands. It's powerful. The truths that Jesus lived and taught are contained right here in the Word of God. This amazing book that was written over 1,600 years by multiple different authors over three continents, yet has a consistent message throughout. Powerful. Powerful. Pray for me today. I'm meeting with one of my son's friends as uh, he's struggling with faith and asked about, like, you know, how do I know there's a God? And uh, we're going to be meeting this afternoon to talk about that. And it'll be a seven and a half hour session of the evidence for God that's out there. Because the evidence is overwhelming, right? That Jesus Christ was God in flesh and that there is a God that created you. And that if there is a God that created this world and it is not the product of random chance, non-directed forces, 
It's the product of a God that loves you. It makes sense that He wants to communicate to you. And He did that through Jesus Christ and the Word of God. That we know that we can live impactful lives if we keep our focus on Christ and His plan for our lives. So as we approach a new year, I, I don't want you to be afraid of resolutions. I know what you're thinking. Oh, Mel, so many people make resolutions and like 80% of them fail by the end of the first month. That, that shouldn't discourage you from every day and every new year thinking, God, how do you want me to change? I don't want to be the same person next year that I am this year. I want you to grow me up. I want you to make me more like Jesus Christ. I want to use every day that you've given me in the most impactful way possible. With that in mind, let's turn to the Word of God to Philippians chapter 3. This book is written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of of the Holy Spirit. And it's a powerful book. In fact, I'm going to start at verse 10. It's one of my favorite books in the New Testament, the book of Philippians. Paul gives what the goal is in verse 10. He says this, that I may know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. I want to stop right there. The word know there in the Greek is the word gnosko. It's the word that is used of experiential knowledge, of something you've experienced. Like, for example, you know Riverview Church. You've been there. You've been to the services. There's another word for know in the Greek language. It's the word oida. It's a knowledge of something, but you've not experienced it. Like, you might know about Neil Armstrong walking on the moon, but you haven't done it yourself. That's an oida knowledge. The word here is gnosko. It's an experiential knowledge. Paul's saying, I want to know Christ in an experiential way, moment by moment, day by day, put him to the test, live out his word in a way that allows you to see the wisdom of his plan. Because his plan, it is perfect. It's perfect. He says, I want to know Christ. I want to know him. I want to know the power of this resurrection. Here's the part that many of us want to leave out of the Bible. This is the hard part. And to share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul's in essence saying, it's that important to me. I want to make sure that I have my afterlife settled. Your biggest responsibility in this life is to settle the afterlife. To be right with God, knowing that when you come to the end of your life, and you will one day, can't stop it, it's going to happen, settle the afterlife question. Paul says, by all means possible, I want to attain that. That's a priority of mine. Then verse 12, here's where we pick it up. Not that I've already obtained this. Paul says, I'm not dead yet. I haven't been resurrected yet. I'm still living on this earth. Or that I'm already perfect. You might say, oh, well, he's the Apostle Paul. He's, he's an amazing leader in the church. You mean he's not perfect? No, Paul shares his humility with us. Not perfect. Not there yet. But I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm going to stop right there and just talk a little bit about this book of Philippians Paul's theme in this entire book is joyful humility. Joy, as you know, is different than happiness. Joy is this deep-seated contentment, knowing that you are in the hands of God. And no matter what life throws your way, 
God has you. No one can take you out of the hands of God. He is in control. He's sovereign. And there's this humility that goes with this joy saying, God, I want to be like you. I want to follow your plan. I want to follow your word. Like our brother said over here, in the peaks and in the valleys, not just when things are going well, but even when life gets difficult. There's a joyful humility that we're to have. And I want to tell you, as I read God's Word, one of the most basic and one of the most fundamental and valuable characteristics God wants to see in each of us is a teachable heart. God, teach me. I'm ready. I want to be changed by you. To never have the attitude that says, hey, uh, yeah, I have an anger problem, so what? Deal with it. This is the way I am. Yeah, I'm selfish, but deal with it. This is the way I am. That should never be our attitude. We're to have a joyful humility. Just like Christ, in chapter 2, it talks about Jesus being obedient to the point of death, even death on a what? On a cross for us. That's how obedient Jesus was. And the Word says, have that same mind in you that was in Christ, that the word obey is not a negative four-letter word. It's a very positive word because we acknowledge here today that God's plan is perfect. We can't improve on it. And the more we live according to it, the more we find out the wisdom of it. And along with that, to reject what I often hear as a criticism of salvation by faith alone, it's called this, easy believism. Oh, Mel, that's easy believism. What you're talking about, you say that all you have to do to get to heaven is put your faith in Jesus Christ? Well, people are going to say, fine, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe He died on the cross for my sins. If that's all it takes, I'm just going to live the way I want to. (laughs) I'm not going to follow Jesus, but I believe He died on the cross for my sins. You know, Paul deals with that problem, that potential thought that people might have. In Romans chapter 5, he says, Should we continue in sin when we've died to it? May it never be. May we never have that attitude. Because the reality is this. A faith that saves you. We say this often here at Riverview Church. A faith that saves you is a faith that what? Changes you. When you understand who Jesus is and what he did for you on the cross and you put your faith and trust in him, you say, man, I don't want to live my life anymore. My plan is a loser plan. God, your plan is perfect. I want to be like you. So you change out of love for Christ. I read in the first service this morning at our scripture reading, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul writes, the love of Christ compels me. Scholars have debated, is it Christ's love for me that compels me to change? Or my love for Christ that compels me to change? That's, that debate has raged. And most scholars say this, ultimately, probably both. My love for Christ compels me to change. Christ's love for me, I'm in awe of it, compels me to change. That in light of who Jesus is, I want to be like Christ. And that brings me to the first point I see in this passage. As you want to make the most of your life, remember this. Remember who you are in Christ. That you are a person that's defined by your relationship with Christ. If anybody walked up to you and said, hey, what defines who you are? We talked about this a couple months ago. 
in our Questions by Jesus series. What defines who you are? Who, who makes up the person that you make up or what makes up the person that you've become? My prayer would be without hesitation. You would say, man, it's my relationship with Jesus Christ. That defines my life. He guides me every step. Not that I do it perfectly. God's still making me stronger and growing me up. Just like a little baby when a baby is born, develops these new skills over time. Same is true of Christians when they come to faith in Christ. They grow up in their walk. But what defines me more than anything else in my life is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want everybody to know, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed by it. I don't know how many of you uh, saw the football game last night between Clemson and Ohio State. Anybody see that game last night? Great game. Great game. What was the highlight of the whole broadcast was at the end of the game, the winning coach for Clemson, uh, a number of times, not only to the TV announcer, but to the whole stadium, said, I give all glory to... God, man. I was like, I don't know where this coach is spiritually, but I'm impressed. He doesn't care who hears it. I want all glory to go to God. All glory to Him. That should be our desire as well. Kind of like the moon as it reflects the light of the sun. The moon is, should not be ashamed of that, right? It would be ridiculous for the moon to say, hey, I don't like the fact that the sun is constantly shining on me. I'm going to get out of the light of the sun. That would be ridiculous. The glory of the moon would be gone. The same is true for all of our lives. There are millions of people on this planet who are out of the light of God's one and only Son. And the best thing they can do is to get into that light and reflect it to the world so that their life can have the most impact that it could ever, ever have. Why? Because you'll impact eternity. Remember who you are in Christ. Riverview Church, remember who we are in Christ, why we're here. Yes, it's wonderful to get together and to be with all of you. I've been so blessed to serve as pastor here at this church. I love it. But I know that we can't stay in this building. We go out into a world that's longing and dying to hear the message of Jesus Christ because they're groping in darkness. Remember who we are in Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God. You've been adopted into his family. And as we read the word, to have a sensitive, teachable heart that says, I want to change. I want, I want God to change me. And at times it can be troubling to read the word of God because it's this amazing mirror that shows us where we fall short. But God does that because he loves us. But it can be troubling at times. I'm reminded of uh, a friend of Mark Twain's that walked in and saw him reading the Bible and Mark Twain had a troubled look on his face. And the friend said to Mark Twain, oh man, I know, the Bible, man, it can be really hard to understand. I, I get that look at times too, reading the Bible. I love Mark Twain's quote. He said this, what I don't understand about the Bible does not worry me. It's what I do understand that does. What I understand about the Bible, that's what concerns me. See, the Bible's so clear. The message is clear. How to be right with God. How to walk on this planet. And at times, we fall woefully short. But Paul's goal is clear. That I might know Christ in an experiential way. That I might experience the power of his resurrection. I can't do it by my own strength. Can't do it, Jesus. I need you in my life to strengthen me. I need you as an example in my life to guide me. And when the sufferings and difficulties come... 
He's there to empower us and to bring us through that trial at the other end, stronger in our faith. It's like a marriage. I did a wedding on Friday ceremony, and I was telling this young couple, it's hard to believe standing here at the altar that there will be any problems in your marriage. But they will come, amen? There will be problems. But if you do those problems and trials and challenges the way God laid it out for us, you too will come out of that problem and trial more in love with each other and more in love with God because you'll see God at work. Don't quit. Don't give up. Remember who you are in Christ. You've been adopted into the family of God. You're a child of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That defines everything we do. Defines everything we do. Then he says this in verse 12. Not that I've already retained this. I have, and Paul's saying, God's at work in me. I'm a construction project, but I press on. The Greek word there, press on, is the word to pursue relentlessly. And I'm going to press on. I'm not stopping. I'm not quitting when it gets tough. Why? Because God has made me his own. He owns me. You might say, oh, I, don't, I don't want to be owned by anybody. When God's own, God owns you, when you've been paid for by an amazing price, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that should be a source of joy for you, a joyful humility. God, you paid this awesome price for me. I now give my life in return to you, and I'm going to press on, pursue relentlessly. It reflects the great commandment, doesn't it? When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment in the Old Testament? Think about all these pages of the Old Testament. What's the greatest commandment? It's so powerful, yet so simple, and it's a positive affirmation. It's this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. To pursue that relentlessly, to press on because you know this is the most valuable relationship in your life. Paul's talking about change here, right? He was a man that experienced amazing change. You might remember he was the coat checker when they murdered Stephen. Stephen, a young believer in the early church, was stoned to death by the Jewish leaders and Paul was right there in agreement with it. He was an accomplice in murder in the life of Stephen. He went around persecuting the church, then met Jesus, did a 180. He knew what change was all about. He wrote this, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So here's a common sense statement that he makes. So run that you may obtain it. If you're a runner in a race, you want to win the prize. It makes sense. If you're a runner in Jesus' race of life, you want to win the prize. I say, well, what's the prize? Paul says a little bit more. He says this, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Think about all the famous athletes that have, have disciplined their body. They're real concerned about what they eat. They exercise six, eight hours a day. They train themselves for hours and hours to win a perishable wreath. But you are in a race, my friends, that is so much more important than any Olympic gold medal race. You're in a race for eternity to make a difference for Christ. It's imperishable. 
So it makes sense that your love for Christ and who you are would define every day of your life. And you do it in joy. You don't want to be wavering and kind of moping around, not having direction in your life. But you know when you come to Christ, He gives you purpose. That's why Paul says in verse 26 in this passage, So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one just beating the air. Waste of time. No, I have a goal. I know what it is. Do you know what your goal is today? Do you know what it is to know Jesus and to be like Him? That God's going to be at work in your life to make you more like Jesus in 2020 than you were at 2019? Why does He do that? Because He loves you. He wants you to experience the abundant life He promised that you would have. So, I love Paul's basic conclusion in this passage. It's this, I am not where God wants me to be. That's what he means when he says, I'm not perfect. I need to keep growing. I need to change. The next thing, I will do what it takes to get there. That's the meaning of the phrase, press on. Don't give up. Don't let friends discourage you. Don't listen to the negative lies of this world. Oh man, you believe this antiquated book, the Bible? How can you do that? Are you that ridiculously foolish that you believe God's word, the Bible? So you'll hear stuff like that. But we know down deep that there is a God behind this universe. We know down deep that this did not happen by chance all around us. We know down deep that this God who created everything wants to communicate with his creation. And Jesus Christ stands head and shoulders above every other religious leader that ever walked on this planet. And we will do what it takes to get there to be like him. Because he's the inventor and creator of life. See, there are two extremes in this passage. One is Christians who think they can or should have no problems and have to be perfect. I thought when I came to Jesus, all my problems would be gone or that there's this belief out there called perfectionism that states that when you come to faith in Christ, you never sin again. Well, we all know down deep that really isn't true. But believe it or not, it's out there. That's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. Another extreme that is addressed in this passage is Christians who say, I'm not perfect, and in this life I'll never be perfect, so why waste time trying? People that just say, hey, this is where I am, I'm staying right here. I'm not growing. See, Paul never condones complacency. He calls for action. You know, there's a... uh, a job my wife has, flight attendant with American Airlines. She's on these jets all the time. I told you a couple weeks ago about her uh, uh, emergency landing in London Heathrow. Look at this jet. Here's a jet. I want to talk about another. She had uh, failed hydraulics on her plane. Another important part of an airplane besides the hydraulics is the wings. Now, I want to ask you a question. Which wing of the airplane is most important? Anyone? Anyone? Anyone know? Anyone? Which wing most important? Oh, amen. Both. Thank you for that bold answer. Yeah, the wing of the plane that's most important is both of them. They're equally important. And so are these two concepts in the Word of God. To be a hearer of the Word, not just to hear what the Word of God says. Oh, wow, that's really good. That's great advice for couples. That's great advice for individual lives. Wow, what a great principle in the Word of God. You're hearing the Word of God. Here's the other wing. To be a doer of the Word of God, as it says in James 1.22. To take the Word of God in 2020 and say, no longer will I play around with the Word of God. I'm going to take it and live by it. 
Take it and live by it. And identify those areas in my life that need to change. On June 6, 1944, the Allied forces in World War II focused their attention on one beach. What was the name of that beach? Normandy Beach. They knew that to defeat Hitler, they needed to have a foothold in Europe. And they were going to do it at Normandy Beach. And all of their forces were directed at that one beach. That was it. And then from that beach, when they had conquered and obtained a foothold at Normandy Beach, they went to the next tree, then to the next hill, then to the next valley, then to that tree over there, then to that town, and that town. They took Europe one step at a time until they eventually marched into Berlin, defeating Hitler. See, sometimes in our spiritual lives, we say to God, God, I give you my life. I give you my life. It's such a general goal that it's not specific. You don't hit it. In fact, people say if you have no goal, you're bound to hit it every time, right? If you just say, hey, I give you my life, God. It's such a general goal, you don't even know where to start. But in 2020, let us be Christians who say, hey, God, I give you my anger problem this specific problem that I have. I want to work on this anger problem. My thought life problem, I want to work on that. My selfishness, I want to work on that, God. Help me to be more patient. I'm going to work on that specific area. And one by one, we see God give us victory in the areas of our lives that we have been struggling with for so long. To be a doer of the word, to take the word of God, and by God's strength, to live it out. Because ultimately we know where the victory is found. That's what is meant in the text by Christ has made me his own. Victory is found in Jesus. That's where a life that has an eternal impact is found. Here's the second thing I want to challenge you with. Refuse to let your past imprison you. I love what Paul says here. Paul was a murderer. How many murderers are here at the building right now? Any murderers? Murderers? No. Okay, if there were... There's encouraging words for you here and for me, for all of us who've ever sinned. If you've ever sinned in your life, please remain seated. Amen. So you're going to love this verse. It says this, But one thing I do, verse 13, see it? But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. If you're like me, you tend to hold on to your losses a lot longer than you celebrate your wins. If you're like me, you hold on to your losses a lot more than you celebrate your wins. And sometimes people can be handcuffed by their past. And Paul says this, listen, and he even calls himself the greatest of sinners. He was involved in a murder. He was persecuting innocent people. He had all these wrong motives. Paul says this, forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting it. If you read that verse you also then have to understand the amazing grace of God as you realize there is no sin so great that the cross of Christ can't pay for it. If you're sitting there today saying, Mel, I have done something so bad in my past that God could never ever use me, that is not coming from the Lord. Now, there may be consequences for those sins of the past. 
But I believe no matter where you are, God can still use you. Even if it's sharing the testimony of, man, I was caught up in this and it was so bad and uh, God has changed me and I sense the power of God in my life, that testimony can be a powerful testimony to change the lives of others. Refuse to let the past imprison you to think that you can't be used by God. Refuse to let the past imprison you, to think that you can't have a vibrant relationship with God. Paul became an amazing leader in the New Testament, even though he was involved in the murder of Stephen. See, at times, we can rest on prior accomplishments. That, that could be our problem with the past. If I ask you today, hey, what has God been doing in your life? And you said, oh, Mel... 45 years ago, let me tell you what God did in my life. 45 years ago. Now that's great that God did something 45 years ago. But what my prayer would be is that you would say, oh man, this week God's been teaching me about this. God's been working in my life in this way. I was reading this word and I read this passage and it hit home in my life. This is an area that I know God wants me to work on. Not to rest on past accomplishments and live distant from God today but to be in a vibrant relationship with God and not to allow past failures to cause you to quit. See, how, how can we forget the past? By not quitting because of past failures or not being distracted from the goal, forgetting what lies behind. We're not looking back. Think of all the runners that have lost the race because as they're approaching the finish line, I just did a brief search of it before I did the sermon, there was one story after another of runners who at the finish line looked behind and someone passed them on the other side. They're distracted by what's behind them, not keeping their eyes on the goal. That should be our desire as a church, Riverview. Keep our eyes on the goal, what God has called us to do, to love God with all of our heart and soul, to love our neighbor as ourselves. that everyone that walks into this place would sense the love of God in this place and we only speak the truth in love because we have a God that loved us all the way to the cross. I love the statement that this writer wrote. He said this, the Christian life is not a hundred yard dash. It's a lifelong marathon. You need the mentality of a long distance runner. If you're going to make it, you have to, you may have been a Christian for 40 or 50 years, but you can't start thinking, I don't need to grow anymore and stop running. Long distance runners have to complete the entire course. They can't win by deciding after many miles that they've run far enough. A marathon runner will never win if that marathon runner only runs 23 miles. Never win. Got to keep going. One step at a time. It's a marathon. And God promises to do it with us. That we have purpose. Who you are leads to why you're here. You know why you're here. Your attitude is clear. It's a function of this joy that we're talking about and this love for Christ. I love in the, um, in the book of Philippians, this one word that's only used 26 times in the New Testament, but it's used 10 times in this little book about think this way. The way you think, your attitude, will so much depend on the joy that you have and the joy you have will depend on the way you think since the theme of Philippians is joy there's a definite correlation between attitude and the joy that you have and then have a determination that's your part run with endurance with the strength God gives you and I want to close with this we focus on the greater goal ahead of you what does Paul write 
He says this, Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind. Here it is, straining forward. What is he straining forward to? The goal of knowing Christ, of being like him. To that which lies ahead, don't look back. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In my yearbook, you know, every yearbook as a senior in in high school, you're asked to write maybe something that defines you or a quote that you like. Uh, Philippians 3.14 was what I wrote under my picture in my high school yearbook. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Have I done it perfectly? No, not even close. Am I still working on it? Yeah, God's still at work in my life. But that bottom line is what defines me. And God's still at this construction project in my life. And my prayer is that would be the goal that I would never lose sight of. The prize of the upward call, this eternal perspective of knowing one day we will be called into God's presence. And that's why we live the way we do today. Think of these runners. You've seen the races, right? Where the runners are leading forward. They're straining, giving everything they've had. I've seen runners fall across the finish line. They're straining so far forward to win. They've committed their entire self as they fall across the finish line. That should be our perspective as a church. We're all in, straining forward to what lies ahead. And as I close, I want to give you some now what's. Number one, what is the growth edge in your life? What is God teaching you in your life that needs to change? Maybe he's convicting you of something right now. What is that specific thing? Don't just say, hey, here's my life. What specific thing does he want to see changed? What specific changes do you sense the Holy Spirit wants to make in your life? So this is the growth edge, my anger. What changes need to be made? Right? When someone frustrates you, you're not going to yell and scream at that person. You're going to work hard, and even in the little times of frustration, I'm going to be calm. God, give me the patience I need. I'm not going to allow my anger to dominate and define who I am. Whatever the problem is, what are the specific changes you need to make? And then lastly, how will you refuse to allow excuses to keep you from the goal? No more excuses. No more, hey, I'm a lot better than those Christians over there, so I'm okay. They were never the goal, amen? Those Christians over there, never the goal. Jesus never said, follow other believers. He said, follow me. That's the goal. And that's our desire in 2020. Amen, church? Amen. Let's bow our hearts in prayer. And as your hearts are bowed today before the Lord, rejoice in the fact that he wants to change us. He wants to grow us up. He wants us to know him more in 2020 than we did in 2019, to be more like Jesus in 2020 than we were in 2019. May our hearts be teachable, soft and teachable. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for another year. You are so faithful to us. And we know that even if this was the last day of our lives, as we are ushered into your presence, you are still a God of amazing faithfulness. So Lord, we commit 2020 to you. We commit ourselves to you. We love you. You gave everything you have for us. And we pray this in your matchless name. Amen. Let's all stand together. Sing this song.
Amen. Well, we have uh, home group leaders and, usher, and uh, elders up front who would love to pray with you about anything going on in your life. Have a great new year and live this week all for Him. God bless you. See you on the patio.
so good to hear that. Yeah, he said he quoted a, a verse from the Bible. He said Ephesians three twenty. I think he used. Yeah. Amen. That's good. Uh, welcome. God bless you, brother. Uh, praise God. Thanks for being here. God bless you. Good to have you. Thank you. Anything else you give? All right, I'll bring this up. Fine. I know. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. 
Thank you. 